0: Of all the things our nation is grappling with, in my opinion, the most worrisome is the death of truth and trust in our institutions.
1: That's NBC's evening news anchor, Lester Holt. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. I was a huge fan of Muhammad Ali. Not only did he light up the ring with his phenomenal boxing skills, he was a civil rights leader, humanitarian, philanthropist, and he also had a great sense of humor. Today I will be talking with James Buckley, who wrote a book directed towards children and young adults about Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. Actually, I read through the book. I really learned some new things about him. I think anybody could read this book. But first, Lester Holt nbc's evening news anchor was recipient of the edward r merle lifetime achievement award unfortunately because of covid he was unable to come to the washington state university campus to accept the award he will however be visiting in the near future when it is considered safe to travel i'm going to play for you some of his remarks he made in accepting the award he eloquently defined what journalism is and what it isn't if you want to hear the entire remarks Go to YouTube and input Lester Holt, Murrow Symposium. Back with Lester Holt in just a moment.
2: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesofExperience.com. All one word.
1: The following are parcel remarks that Lester Holt made in accepting the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication.
0: Of all the things our nation is grappling with, in my opinion, the most worrisome is the death of truth and trust in our institutions. And please know this is something I've expressed worries about going back long before this previous administration. It's been a slow erosion with the answers and conclusions already preloaded for us on social media or opinion oriented programs. We have increasingly lost our critical thinking skills, the ability to hold things to the light and ask key questions for ourselves, unafraid that the answer may not, but be what we'd hoped. Sometimes a story will drop in our laps in the newsroom. It seems huge. Then we began to tug at it and pull at it, looking for holes, and suddenly it falls apart. You at home never see that story because we couldn't establish it or at least frame it in a reasonable way, so it never got on the air. The old joke in newsrooms is, darn, another great story ruined by overchecking. But checking and verifying is what journalists do. But it would be arrogant to hold to the idea that we, traditional journalists, are the only gatekeepers of information that only we know the facts and what matters. Every day we make decisions about what stories we'll cover, how long that story will be, what angles we will explore and where it will fit into the program. Please know these decisions are a product of discussions that begin early in the morning and continue right up to when we go on the air. The NBC Nightly News brand is more than 75 years old. The program's reputation for integrity and trust has been hard-earned, and it's something we don't take for granted. But we know we don't just compete with the folks on the other channels anymore. The democratization of journalism, made possible by smartphones and the Internet, has opened a whole new hyperspeed network of raw and often unfiltered information. In the meantime, traditional journalists spent the last four years being labeled enemies of the people, blasted from the world's biggest megaphone. And it didn't come without a price. It's hurt the standing of journalism and allowed misinformation, some of it dangerous, to gain critical mass. And it forced us down a path towards what at times was a toxic relationship between the executive branch and the fourth estate. It's not a healthy place for any of us. The media's reliance on truth and facts was turned upside down and weaponized as evidence of lies. The more we try to separate fact from fiction, the easier it became to label us as partisan tools. Dog Bites Man is not a story. It's common. Happens all the time. But man bites dog gets your attention, right? We don't see that. So it's news. Safe to say we chased a lot of those stories the last several years. Things we'd never seen before. Now, whether they were good or bad is irrelevant, but we couldn't look away because they were new and different and had to be reported. I'm asked a lot now how the news media recovers from the damage. Let me first say the damage only goes so deep as millions and millions of Americans still turn to news organizations like mine for trusted information. The unprecedented attacks on the press in this period, I'm sure, will fill plenty of books and be studied in classrooms, maybe even here but I have a few early observations I'll share about where this moment brings us and what we can learn. Number one is, I think it's become clear that fairness is overrated. Well, before you run off and tweet that headline, let me explain a bit. The idea that we should always give two sides equal weight and merit does not reflect the world we find ourselves in. That the sun sets in the West is a fact. Any contrary view does not deserve our time or attention. I know recent events assure that you won't have to look far to find more current and relevant examples. I think you get my point. Decisions to not give unsupported arguments equal time are not a dereliction of journalistic responsibility or some kind of agenda. In fact, it's just the opposite. Providing an open platform for misinformation, for anyone to come say whatever they want, especially when issues of public health and safety are at stake, can be quite dangerous. Our duty is to be fair to the truth. Holding those in power accountable is at the core of our function and responsibility. We need to hear our leaders' views, their policies and reasoning. It's really important. But we have to stand ready to push back and call out falsehoods. Now, I understand what I just said will only reinforce negative sentiments some hold to journalists. And that leads me to my second point. The need to be respected versus the need to be liked. Let me be frank. Media companies proudly invest in promoting the quality of their journalism, and rightfully so. But they also invest in the faces of their organizations to help weave a relationship and identity with audiences and readers. While we all like to be liked, we don't let that stand in the way of calling out uncomfortable truths. That we have had to be more direct in our language in recent times only speaks to the volume and gravity of particular statements and claims. Remember this, fact-checking is not a vendetta or attack. We all have a stake in us getting it right. And lastly, on where we go from here, we will need to take a hard look at our respective lanes and how we make sure we stay between the la- lines. The TV media landscape can look very, very much the same. People are well-dressed, sitting at plexiglass desks against giant video screens with lots of words on them. But the content can be very different. Opinion-oriented cable programming featuring provocative and often partisan voices is popular and it has its place. But it should not be confused with mainstream newscasts, which have their place too. Informed, knowledgeable analysis is not the same as opinion. I think all media could benefit from greater transparency as to who we are and what our chosen lanes are. As we strengthen the bonds of trust, we should not be afraid to take satisfaction from revealing reporting, but there should be no place for snark, belittling, or arrogance. But we need a willing public partner to help shore up the pillar of journalism, which gets back to you, our audiences, and the value of critical thinking. At the beginning of my remarks, I told you about how I learned on the job. Without guidance, I would have simply failed. If you have ever tweeted or Facebooked an account of something, you're effectively a citizen journalist and learning on the job. And thanks to technology, you're capable of commanding massive audiences. It's a big responsibility. We have all seen the cost of taking it lightly or recklessly. Whether in 240 characters or in a 30-minute newscast, we need to weigh our words. Consider our sources. Report what we know to be true, not what we wish to be true. News literacy is extremely important. We must help our audiences understand what our role is in a healthy democracy. Because if we're not asking the right questions, who is? Imagine if you would, what the pandemic would look like without the media holding leaders to account for vaccine rollouts or countering harmful misinformation or why some communities are being left behind. Regard for truth must regain a foothold in our society so that we can weather the storms of tomorrow's calamities, tomorrow's pandemics. And on that, I want to leave you with this. You may have heard this quote before, but even Edward R. Murrow understood the potential limits of credulity in the face of stories and events that overwhelm us. Reporting from the just liberated Buchenwald concentration camp in 1945, he said, I pray you to believe what I have said about Buchenwald. I have reported what I saw and heard, but only part of it, for most of it, I have no words." That was reporting from the heart, with humility and regard for his audience, an example of what journalism will always aspire to be.
1: Congratulations to Lester Holt for receiving the Edward R. Murrow Lifetime Achievement Award from Washington State University. Now again, if you would like to view the entire acceptance speech, and I strongly urge you to do that, go to YouTube and input Lester Holt, WSU Symposium.
2: Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist.
1: James Buckley Jr. has joined me, and he is the author of a book called Muhammad Ali, The Greatest of All Time. Now, is he the greatest of all time? Mm, Maybe, maybe not. However, he's up there, and um, I'm a big fan of Muhammad Ali, and I have been since early in his career, when I was very young, in the uh, mid-1960s. Not so much for his boxing, but he was pretty special there, too. And I remember when he came into the ring, everybody noticed just, well, his, what, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee? That's exactly who he was. What was most impressive about him is that he had such a huge following in the United States. That was very special. However, he had a huge following around the world. He had to be probably one of the most or the most popular American during the 1960s and 70s and into the 80s, probably. An incredible guy. And a wonderful sense of humor. Go see some of his uh, videos on YouTube. He was just a very special guy. One thing I want to call out, if you're a fan of uh, 60 Minutes, Google Ed Bradley, 60 Minutes interview with Muhammad Ali. He pulls a joke on him that I'll... One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Okay, I'm getting carried away. Let's get to the interview. And uh, again, this is uh, James Buckley, who wrote this book about Muhammad Ali. What is it about this book, about Muhammad Ali, that you think is so important that people read it?
3: Well, Muhammad Ali is clearly one of the key figures in American life. And uh, the Show Me History series is designed to introduce uh, people like Ali to younger readers using a very popular graphic nonfiction or comic book format Ali's story touches on so many areas of American life, from sports and activism and social justice and uh, faith and race. Uh, he's really just a, a seminal figure, and he's really uh, someone we think that young people should, uh, should learn more about. And it was just a treat for me to be able to tell his story. Who would be the target of this book? These books are aimed uh, for reading level uh, at basically eight and up, um, but we think that it's uh, an accessible story that really anyone can read at any, at any age. Um, as I said, the graphic novel format has really become enormously popular uh, in publishing, especially with uh, younger readers, and more accepted by teachers and librarians and parents uh, as the quality of the stories and the uh, type of illustrations. Uh, Andy Duggan is the artist for this book. He did a great job. Um, it's become more accepted in schools and libraries and so uh, we thought it was a great way to uh, get the story across, uh, especially to young people, but as I said, anyone can enjoy this book.
1: I uh, knew about Muhammad Ali growing up, great admirer of his, and um, introduced me to a lot of concepts that I wasn't aware of. And seeing how he just really overcame some huge prejudices.
3: Well, I think the things for especially for young people who may have a very uh, limited knowledge of him, and maybe heard of him from his boxing career, or people who call him the greatest. It's a great, you know, famous nickname, and now uh, w- with you know, goat becoming sort of a thing all over sports. You know, Tom Brady's the goat, and LeBron James might be the goat. Well, Muhammad Ali was the first one to really take on that title, and so it's in the news so by telling his story and going deeper into his life how he got started in boxing, so where kids are able to relate to his uh, struggles as a youth in segregated in the segregated South, and then uh, going through uh, becoming a boxer, and then dealing with racism as he grew up through the boxing game, and then his big decision to uh, uh, convert to Islam, and how that affected his life. And so there's a lot of you know good parallels to what's happening in the world today that, that happened through his life, his struggles with. Prejudice, as you said, uh, his struggles with converting to Islam and how people felt about that. Um, So much of what's happening in the world today in the last year or two with Black Lives Matter and the social justice movement, especially in relation to athletics, can be traced directly to Ali. So by telling his story, we help young readers understand the context of what's happening in the world around them right now.
1: Yeah, one of the major steps that he took in the late 1960s was avoiding the draft, not avoiding it, but refusing to be drafted for the Vietnam War. And I just remember as a young kid at the time, I remember vividly him saying, I will not go 10,000 miles to murder and kill people I've never met. And it was like, it was so simple, it was kind of like jarring. And it really changed my attitude about future wars. Of course, we've gotten into since, but that was a major moment.
3: It was, and I think the the thing about his story is that it how quickly not how quickly but how when he refused the draft in 1967 he was stripped of his title. He had to give up so much some of the prime years of his boxing career, an enormous amount of money, a lot of personal sacrifice, obviously all of the criticism he took in the press. Um, but then by the time he got his license back and the supreme court finally ruled that he was in fact a uh, you know a conscious objector and should, his conviction was overturned 1971 it, even in that space of time attitudes had so changed radically around uh, the country that um he was no longer he was much more of a hero to more people and i think that began a process of uh that has continued today of uh, attitudes uh, toward american america's attitudes towards war has dramatically changed as you said And a lot of it, I think, can be traced to the 60s movement, but with Ali as one of the real, you know, strong voices at the front of that movement.
1: You know, and you mentioned that he's called the greatest of all time. uh, One of the things that I really was attracted to him and is memorizing to me is his sense of humor and he uh he 's the one who named himself the greatest of all time i 'm the greatest yeah I am the greatest i am the greatest yeah ali
3: was a, was a real showman i mean one of the great things about him, not only was his uh, physical skills spectacular, and he was the fastest boxer ever, but he uh, understood very early on. That it's it's very much of a business, very much of, a, of an activity that has to drive uh, an audience. And he uh, was inspired by the famous wrestler Gorgeous George, and using his own personal, you know, magnetism and personality, uh, understood that if he could perform and attract attention through uh, his words, through his actions, through his attitudes, that more people would come to watch the fights, and he would make more money, and he'd be more popular. That's that's and nothing wrong with that. Um, but that was just something that wasn't done to the extent he did it. He took it to a new level that we're still seeing today in in, in sports media and how players have their own brands. Now players have their own clothing lines. They have their own TV shows and their own record labels. And that never happened before Ali came along.
1: I remember the day, I was very young, don't remember it that well, but I do remember the day when he fought Sonny Liston that first time. Was that 1964 or 65? 64, yeah. 64.
3: 64. Yeah. second fight was 65.
1: And, yeah, and to see how far he came is that I just remember I was in the back of my father's car driving home, and the fight was a couple hours away. And I remember a sports commentator saying that this guy is crazy. He should not be fighting tonight. Psychologists have said he's over the top. He'll probably you know get knocked out in the first round. He's going to injure himself. But basically, what they were saying is that he, this guy is absolutely nuts.
3: Yeah, he was completely underrated in that fight. He was only 22 when he fought. Listen, I think it was only his 18th or 19th professional fight. And at the time, you didn't get that chance. You normally didn't get to fight the champ and have a chance at taking a title at that young or that an age or that inexperienced a fighter. So Ali was, for Liston, as you said, they they thought Liston would literally hurt hurt the guy. Liston was so feared. He was so powerful, and he was. He was a fantastic fighter. But Ali just came up with a strategy, speed, and uh, movement that Liston wasn't ready for, you know, one of the great... Uh, sporting upsets of all time. He shocked the world, just like he said after the fight. He shocked the world.
1: And then, of course, he wasn't through doing that. You know, the uh, the certain George Foreman, that was another one that at the end of his career that you were going, this guy doesn't really have a chance here.
3: People now uh, of our age think you know, remember foreman of the Foreman Grill and his sort of happy jolly you know overweight uh, you know personality great guy. but when he was 24, 25 years old, the man was he was a, he was a, a gigantic, powerful, uh, dangerous fighter um, who really deserved all the attention he got for his skill in the ring. and compared with him at the time, you know Ali was in his mid30s uh, another another part of his legend was born.
1: What do you hope the people who read this book take away from Muhammad Ali as a person?
3: Ali was one of the people who stood up uh, most vocally to defend um, American Muslims in the aftermath of nine eleven, which was at the time he was not given a lot of you know positive ad, you know press for that. But, but looking back on it, you realize that he was just doing what he's always done, which was to speak up uh, for his beliefs and uh, and and to you know make people understand. Uh, what was going on, and uh, he, you know, we tell the story in the book of how he uh, used his fame after boxing to help people. He rescued hostages from, uh, uh, from Iraq, and so um, he, he had a life beyond sports, and I think that's one of the most important things I would have people take away from this. Ali never disappeared. He's still with us today.
1: Before we go, uh, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the other athletes and, let's say, pop culture stars that you've um, profiled in this Show Me History series?
3: Sure. Show Me History uh, has got a real wide range of stuff. Uh, Most of them are American heroes, although we do have uh, Frida Kahlo and uh, Mohandas Gandhi coming out later this year. But already published in the series are such cool names as uh, Walt Disney, Amelia Earhart, um, Alexander Hamilton, Uh, another book I wrote on Babe Ruth, another great athlete who kind of transcended um, his sport, Uh, Sacagawea uh, uh, with the Lewis and Clark organization, and uh, uh, a really cool action-packed adventure of Harriet Tubman, which uh, we really were able to tell a lot more of her story than than I think a lot of young readers know. And uh, she was, uh, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, she was a badass, and she really did some pretty cool things. And we have a real action-packed story about her life uh, in the Show Me History series. You can find uh, all of these at... uh, we hope hope you'll go to your independent bookstore. Uh, if they're not open right now, then uh, you can go to any bookstore as well as, uh, of course, online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And if you Google uh, Portable Press, show me history, uh, there's a page there with excerpts from all the books, the covers, teacher's guides, all the information about the series.
1: Excellent. You know what? I won six games in Little League in the mid-1960s. You can profile me anytime.
3: Absolutely. We'll put you on the list. Yeah, okay. you're right on there, yeah. Yep, you got it.
1: <laughs> all right. James, it's been a pleasure and great book, and I highly recommend it. And he was truly one of the greatest Americans of all time. I put him in, certainly, in the 20th century, going to the 21st, I guess, top 10. I mean, I've got my heroes, yeah. and he's one of them.
3: Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I hope everyone enjoys the book and uh, uh, has a great and safe summer. All right. Thank you both. Thank you
1: very much. My thanks to James Buckley. The book is called Muhammad Ali the greatest of all time. It is directed towards children, but I perused through it and there are things that I learned about Muhammad Ali that I didn't know before, so I highly recommend it for anybody. It's available at independent bookstores, Barnes & Noble online, and of course, Amazon. And it's part of the Show Me History series. And uh, if you just Google Portable Press Show Me History You can find out about all of the books that James has written and there are about 200 books. And again, Google Portable Press Show Me History. And I do want to just let you know that I am not paid any promotional fee for promoting this book or any other book I talk about on this show. I really pick the types of books I want to highlight from what I hope you're interested in and I'm hitting the mark. But again, there's nothing wrong with people doing that. I'm not saying that, but just to let you know from the interviews I'm having I am not getting a promotional fee if that ever changes I'll let you know that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. One more time, a congratulations to Lester Holt for receiving the much-deserved Edward R. Murrow Lifetime Achievement Award, and to author James Buckley for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today. Before I close the show for today, I would just like to urge people to slow down. I've been driving up uh, and down I-5, Quite frequently lately and over I-90. What I've noticed is that a lot of people do speed, but then there are those who are absolutely going at an incredible rate of speed. I clock them to be about 95 to 100 miles an hour. Have you seen that out there? It's uh, pretty disturbing. It's just something again that I've just seen a real rise in. And so report it if you see it. Do so in the memory of that police officer who lost her life on Interstate 5, going south, as she stopped to try to help the people in need, and then she was killed. Any comments about what you heard today? You can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Leave a message. If you'd like me to air it, I'll get it on the air, but just please leave your comments as short as possible. Unlike me, you know, don't follow my example. Voices of Experience. Now, what is this really about? Why did I call it Voices of Experience? I believe that experience is our best teacher. So we talk to people in the media, like today, public affairs, travel, fitness, education, sports, like today, entertainment, with a special emphasis on entrepreneurship. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Thanks for listening. Quote of the week. When the white missionaries came to Africa... They had the Bible, and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible, and they had the land. Bishop Desmond Tutu